And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Vitino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You could also interact with us using hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. We will get to your phone calls and tweets along the way. A lot of news across the National Football League. You would think things would maybe die down with just four teams left for the Come conference on. championship games. But Come on. Life in the NFL, there's never a dull moment, Paul. It's now 12 months out of the year, which is, why, yeah. which is why I'm so happy in my adult years because as a kid, you always had the offseason in the NFL, and the only thing you could ever look forward to after the Super Bowl was the Pro Bowl, which a lot of people didn't care about, and then the draft. And then it was nothing basically until training camp started. And and as a kid, that just didn't sit well with me. Well, you don't have to worry about that now. No. So we are happy that in your adult life, <laughs> you shed the Am diapers I an adult and yet? everything else. Have I gotten there? Well, listen, I'm not going to go there. We need an entire <laughs> psychoanalysis over the next 60 uh, minutes to get through that. But let's get to some news first that relates to the New York Giants. I'm yes. sure a lot of you saw the reports and – CEO and co-owner of the Giants, John Mara, actually was on the Rich Eisen show the other day, and he did confirm that Jason Garrett was in the building yesterday. A lot of reports did showcase that, but nothing official, no word about an offer or anything, but clearly Joe Judge, Paul, is doing his due diligence, and he is interviewing and looking at as many possible candidates as possible for the position of offensive coordinator, which is something also that John Mara had talked with Rich Eisen about yesterday and also emphasized that they support that decision for him to look at all possible candidates and not rush to necessarily get a staff together simply so that they can appease the fans or the media and so forth. Well, that makes perfect sense because he needs to get his staff right. Look, yeah. as much as we talked about the front office needed to get the head coaching decision correct, he needs to get the staff correct. This is really a two-pronged situation because either mistake, or should I say a mistake in either one of those facets, will derail what it is that they're trying to do. So please, by all means, Coach Judge, do whatever you have to do to make sure that you get this right. And I think that I've dubbed it the Belichickian theory that he has subscribed to, and as many of his other cohorts have subscribed to and when you consider the fact that Jason Garrett was a quarterback coach at one time with the Miami Dolphins under Nick Saban who is part of the Belichickian universe there's ties there you could absolutely understand why in addition to his ties with the Giants which we know family and his dad and him here and everything else you can understand why there would be some type of logistical fit Yeah, and remember, it's a small world in the National Football League. Paul, I bring this up time and time again. Relationships is a big part of coaching staffs. You usually turn to the people you trust and you have established relationships with. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't be hiring the best individuals that are going to help groom and develop the players. But for a guy like Joe Judge, it shouldn't stun anybody that he's, according to reports, it looks like turning to individuals that, to your point, are part of the Belichickian tree. He's had established relationships with it, New England or Mississippi State, or perhaps has received recommendations from Bill Belichick or, as you mentioned, Nick Saban. Because Judge doesn't have a direct tie to Jason Garrett, but Nick Saban does right. because Garrett served on his staff in Miami. So there's the connection. And as you mentioned, 
The Giants also have a history of turning to individuals who have either played or worked in the organization. You know, that speaks of the loyalty and the history of this organization. So it doesn't surprise me that Garrett was at least awarded an interview based on those connections alone. Well, I think of the two facets that you're talking about, whether it's a connection to the Giants in the past or a connection to Judge and the Belichickian universe, it is the latter that is more critical here. It happens to be nice that Jason Garrett has a Giants connection, which we've alluded to. But I really believe that when you talk about the Belichickian theory, you're talking about a very specific philosophy. And it's not only a a plan but it's 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 how you get to that plan and then the results that are obtained through that plan that makes it a very unique discipline if you will and i firmly believe that regardless of the credentials of the people who may be available i truly believe the best fits for judges staff Because I've been on record as saying I'd like to see as much experience on his staff as possible. And I still believe experience, and John Mara said himself, he'd prefer to see some experience on the staff. I do believe there is value there. But as long as you can get some experience and also have the Belichickian theory in your pocket, I I think that is critical. In other words... The guy who may be the best fit may not have the best resume. It may be because this guy comes from the Belichickian universe. This guy might not, even though he's got 12 more years of experience than guy A. Okay, this guy may have been to more playoff appearances than guy A, but guy A is from the Belichickian universe. That's the better fit. Because I think... I think anybody who comes from that tree, the Saban, Belichick, Parcells tree, has a, a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A symmetry about them in terms of their philosophies yeah. and their core makeup. And I think it's critical for the machine to work as a staff that those guys are all pulling in the same direction. I think it is very detrimental and could throw the train off the rails if a staff member does not buy in to those theories at their very core. Am I making sense? Yeah, you should have similar principles across the board. I, I think that's what you're stating. I don't want to put well, words in your mouth, but put that's it this what way. it sounds like. When Judge says he, he's all for being a teacher and Gettleman said he wanted a CEO, well, then that means if he's hiring three coordinators— those three coordinators have to be able to teach the message that Joe's given. Yeah. they got to be all in. And it helps set the tone, too. From and the, the position yeah. coaches do, too. Yeah, 100%. But I think also part of Judge's rationale, Paul, which is maybe an extension of your point, could be you could interview two candidates, and one could have a lot more experience than the other, but the one with less experience may be more in line with the scheme that he would like to see implemented. So therefore, he would lean towards that individual, whether it be an offensive or a defensive coach. And and I think that's fair to assume based on whatever the conversation leads to within the interview. But what we have been saying all along since the Giants hired Joe Judge, given the fact that he is a first-time head coach, he's not a first-year coach. He's been in the NFL for quite some time. He's seen and experienced a lot. Eight years. But the fact that this is his first opportunity to run a team, I think there is value. It doesn't mean that it 
is required value, Paul, but there is value yes. in having a coordinator or two under you that has either previously been a head coach on any level or has run an offense or a defense on the NFL level who can at least go off to their own corner of the building and judge doesn't have to worry about micromanaging them. That, I do think, holds some value. I'm going to throw another number into this equation that I don't think many people have even thought about. But there are teams in this league who will hire a senior offensive assistant or a senior defensive assistant. And, for example... Or an assistant head coach, by the way, too. For example, Peter Ginta former Giants secondary coach, is senior defensive assistant with the New Orleans Saints. And what he does, one time he was a defensive coordinator with the Rams many years ago. What he does, he doesn't just stick to secondary. He's a well-rounded defensive mind. And Sean Payton basically says, okay, given the week or given the month or given the area that needs an extra helping hand, that's on you. Go ahead. Go take care of it. And... That's, I think, part of the equation that everybody has left out here. Why isn't it possible that the Giants may hire their D.C. and their O.C. and maybe that Yoda-type guy turns out to be, quote, special assistant to the head coach or senior offensive assistant or senior defensive assistant? It could turn out to be that way. They may add a position with a troubleshooting Yoda, if you will. So let me make that very clear, that that's probably a a, a way around adding the experience without necessarily putting the guy in the coordinator's chair. Yeah, he can add as many positions as he'd like on the staff, as long as the Giants give him approval. I mean, he could bring in three. And by the way, I am not. I am not a candidate for the senior assistant well, or I'm advisor. Glad you clarified that because there were a lot of rumors spreading. Well, so. I I am old and experienced. Well, that's what I'm saying. You fit the principles and criteria <laughs> of what it means to be Yoda. So I'm glad that we at least got some clarity. Help you, I will. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I didn't think we were going to get that thrown in. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> Sometimes my expectations are simply if we get one food analogy out of Paul Dottino, it's mission accomplished. I didn't think that we were going to get some pop culture references and also impressions on today's show. It's nice to see the versatility is uh, streaming out of you on today's program. In all seriousness, though, one other thing that I did want to clarify and bring to the forefront, when individuals, Paul, come in for interviews, I'm not saying one specific interview, let's take a generic approach here, and they sit down with a head coach, and then sometimes they move on, they take another opportunity, sometimes they take a year off, sometimes they actually get the job. At the end of the day, It takes two to tango. And the reason I bring that up, there's going to be a lot of people, whenever these hirings are made official, and nothing is official, but if an assistant that a fan was hoping to see on the staff because they heard that they came into interview doesn't ultimately get the job, that doesn't mean that you know the whole story. It's a matter of only the two people that were in that interview room, or if there were other individuals, know what was expressed, the philosophies that were shared, and sometimes, Paul, the philosophies don't meet up. They're not in sync, regardless of how much experience the other individual on the other side of the table has. Well, let's not kid ourselves. The coaching search is no different than when you're talking to free agent players. Of course, yeah. A very good parallel there. Yeah. I mean, and if for any reason there is not a match, maybe it doesn't happen. 
Could be money, could be fit, could be scheme. Variety of different factors that come into play. I just think it's important that, you know, when you see reports of an interview, that doesn't mean that that individual got the job and everything's done and the process is over. I think sometimes that gets misinterpreted. And I know it may be me stating the obvious, but sometimes, Paul, I think it's important to state the obvious <laughs> because you know how this world works. In the land of Twitter? Yes. Well, that's exactly where my attention is directed towards. Oh. Big Blue Kickoff Live. This is Thursday's edition. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to have you aboard. Remember, it is brought to you by Coors Light. Mounting cold refreshment made to chill. Let's open up the phone lines as we will listen to all subjects that you want to bring to the forefront today. Joe is in Pennsylvania. He gets us going here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Joe? Hi, guys. Hello. Uh, yeah, I, I did hit on it with you guys the other day. I mentioned sure, you know, but... uh. I'm very intrigued with uh, Garrett there, and I think there's a lot more uh, pros than cons, uh, especially knowing the NFC East, you know what I mean, and planning against them and in his experience. Wouldn't you guys think that? Joe, if, if, you're, if you're trying to compare the two candidates, they both bring different positives to the table. And as I've said before, Mike Shula's relationship with Daniel Jones is really good. And there is certainly something to be gained from that. He obviously knows this team and these players. He knows the division from having been here for the last couple of years. He was not calling the plays. Coach Pat Shermer was calling the plays. So to grade him on the play selection would be erroneous since he didn't do it. And quite honestly, if you remember, when he was the offensive coordinator with Carolina, they averaged over 30 points a game and went to the Super Bowl. And as I've said to John, I don't know if I said it to you, Lance, the one knock that you heard when he left the Panthers was that he ran the ball too much. <laughs> That's music oh. to my ears. Well, we've also okay? heard the same thing about Barkley. At I'd, times, hasn't been I'd be up. very happy to hear that he wants to run the ball too much with Saquon Barkley. And so, and I believe that Joe Judge feels the same way. I think he wants to run the ball more than what he has seen in today's NFL. So, I, I think you could see positives in Jason Garrett. I think you could see positives in Mike Shula. I don't know that there's a lose there. I just don't. Well, I think I'm, both guys are qualified. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think the other thing, remember, Shula was the head coach at Alabama, so he has college head coaching experience. Also, he comes from, the last time I checked, a, a pretty good coaching tree, uh, considering <laughs> what his father accomplished and his true. brothers. So, yeah, this there's is valuable true. experience there, and it is important, and I'm glad you brought that up, Paul, because despite the fact that he was currently on staff, and it's a positive to know the division and know the personnel, but remember, Mike Shula was the offensive coordinator in title. That does not mean that he was the play caller. It's the same thing I said, not to get off topic, Joe, and we'll let you continue. You and I had a conversation the other day, remember, about Joe Brady. Coincidentally, he's now been hired as the Panthers' offensive coordinator. Yes. And I made the clarification he was the passing game coordinator at LSU. He was not the offensive coordinator. So you can't mix up those titles and make assumptions that just because this guy was labeled that way that he had the power to call plays. A little bit different. I think Shula falls under that umbrella. So anyway, Joe, bottom line is uh, I personally see a lot of positives in both of those guys. And I would hope that uh, anybody out there evaluating those names would feel the same way. Yeah, uh, and I do think, uh, you know what I mean, that our uh, judge is really getting a chance to uh, 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 decide on some good candidates there. I also seen, uh, you know, a rumor, I don't know, that uh, Callahan may, may be there for off, 
offensive line coach there, but then he had a little run-in with uh, Garrett before they said. so. Joe, I don't know anything about what happened at the internal workings of the Dallas Cowboys. That's not a team that I've covered on a daily basis. Yeah, well, and so, you know, you know what they say about reports that you read online or in the newspapers? There may or may not be a shred of truth to them. Well, I'm just happy, we're, you know what I mean, that we really have some uh, good candidates there and um, – you know, hope for that. Uh, one other thing, our our buddy Odell's in a little trouble for giving a, giving a police officer a little slap on the behind, which is crazy. You know, they did it three days afterwards. He after after it came out online or something. So, uh, thank you. Take care. Happy New Year. Hi, right, Joe. Okay, Appreciate Joe. Appreciate the phone call. Where'd I, that come out? I don't know what he was referring I to. I actually I thought, thought he was talking about the, the TMZ money. report about the money. Correct. At I the LSU I game. I don't know what he was talking about. Did he say something about the police? I'm not sure what that was. About the tush or something. But, but but, but, the, That's but what I thought I heard. even the LSU thing was just kind of bizarre. Yeah, well, listen, whatever. Yeah. Move on. Odell is Odell. I, I will say this. Move on. I, I think that there's smart moves and not so smart moves, and I think people <laughs> could decipher between the two. You do not want to mess with the NCAA during this time no. of day, considering no. how schools are put under the microscope. Uh, one other thing, though, I just wanted to piggyback off of. He brought up Bill Callahan. Now, Bill Callahan was on Jason Garrett's staff in Dallas. I mean, that's a fact. Yes. And Callahan ultimately left to take the same job with the Washington Redskins. So, you know, he's familiar with the entire NFC East. Forget just, you know, the Cowboys or the Giants. He knows his way around the entire division, and he's a free agent right now. So any team is free to interview Bill Callahan for whether it be an offensive line coach position or or whatever it may be. And I don't think I've seen any national reports of him visiting anybody. I have not seen any reports, too. Remember, the last thing was he took over— as the interim head coach when they got rid of Jay Gruden, and then the Redskins hired Ron Rivera, and Ron Rivera pretty much has parted ways with the majority of the coaching staff. They've also retooled and restructured the front office, so Callahan's a free agent, like a lot of other talented coaches, because there's been a big turnover rate in the coaching ranks this offseason. And I'm not just talking about head coaches. Remember, there were only five openings, but think about how many offensive coordinators have changed and so forth. Uh, so, you know, that is something that has been uh, extremely notable. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but let's uh, get back. Okay, this phone is uh, got its own mind there. I don't know, Artemis, if you want to hit the drop on your end to see if that... There we go. Okay. Nice. Amazing. Look at the technology sometimes. She's got uh, more power than you. There you go. Well, we both have power. It, it's an even balance. Uh, I, I don't like know about yours. We well, I've never had that experience during the course of a program. There's a first for everything, though, as they say. All right, let's go back to the lines. We'll check it with Lawrence in North Carolina. Lawrence, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hi, fellow. Hi, fellows. I'm a second-time caller. Okay. I'm so what do you have for us? in Brooklyn, New York. Very nice, Lawrence. So Hello. What's on your mind? <laughs> so um, I want to get to uh, talking about defensive coordinator. I take it that Patrick Graham has still not been named, so I believe the position may still be available. And I'm going to go to a guy who played outstanding football as an All-American in Ohio State. He was drafted by the Giants. Pepper Johnson, right? For the Giants under under Parcells. And uh, and later, uh, he was a coach under Belichick at New England. He has a job in the XFL right now. You're yeah. aware of that, right? Who's that? Pepper Johnson's working in the XFL as a coach. Yeah. I believe yeah, he's, he, he might he might be a DC. The name right, right. Well, I mean, look, it's somebody who Carl Banks has mentioned many times. Excuse me, in terms of his affection and his belief that Pepper would do a wonderful job getting back into the National Football League. 
But right now, he has a job in the XFL. I don't know He's how... He's defensive coordinator linebackers coach for the LA Wildcats. There you go. Yeah. I don't know how tight that contract is, if he can even get out of it. I don't even know the answer to that. And I have not heard him interviewing with any NFL teams since he took the XFL job. So I think, to be perfectly frank with you, um, you're going to have to put that name out of your mind for, for right now. Yeah, plus, the XFL is just about to get underway. I think the last thing that a coach wants to do is bail on that after you know they've spent months trying to get that league up and running and preparing the players. So I don't know what the likelihood of him landing a job anywhere in the NFL, given the fact that he is tied up with the XFL right now, Lawrence. What else do you have for us? Okay, well, let me go. I got another thing for you. Sure. Let's go to offensive coordinator. And I think it would be very wise to hold over Mike Shula. And I say this because I think our young quarterback needs some continuity. Uh, I've done some research on Mike Shula, and he, his uh, team statistically are slightly heavy in the run game, has been mentioned. But I think that's the way to go because the Giants have got to rediscover their personality, their DNA, and get back to a little bit of smash-mouth football. They've got arguably one of the, the best tailbacks in the NFL. And to have a fullback leading him in the hole and guards pulling through, uh, I think that's the way to go to control football games and win championships. All right, Lawrence. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. And, I mean, we pretty much went over Mike Shula's resume, so no argument, at least from my side of things. I, I think you were in line with that too, Paul. There is value in him for many different reasons, experience, knowledge of the personnel, and his track record as a play caller and an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I got to see a lot of his work on the sideline during road games with Daniel Jones on the bench. And, you know, those two guys got along marvelously well. So, you know, that's one additional additive or piece of intangibles that he will have over anybody else. Because Daniel Jones has only had one coach to specifically deal with him on a daily basis. Yes, Pat Shermer was his head coach, but his quarterback's coach, you know, slash pseudo OC was Mike Shula, who was down there on the bench, on the sideline for every play of Daniel's rookie season. Well, and I'm a big proponent of not rocking the boat with a young quarterback, especially where you give him multiple voices and multiple coaches in the span of very few years. So that to me is a very strong selling point for Mike Shula because Daniel Jones, year one, has been around that voice. Shula knows what the offensive scheme was all about. He knows all about Daniel Jones's tendencies and things he needs to improve upon. So for the sake of continuity, I think that's important. Now, should that be the only factor in Joe Judge's rationale? No, that should not be the only factor, but I think it should play a significant role before you make the decision of who your OC is. Both guys, Garrett and Shula, when you discuss them as potential offensive coordinators for any team, will bring certain pluses to the table. Given a particular situation, one guy will bring different pluses than the other guy does. And that's about the only way I can say it. Absolutely. Let's head back to the phone lines and we check in with Pete in Washington Heights. Welcome aboard, Pete. What do you got for us? How you doing, guys? Thanks for Hi. taking a call. Um, when we hired Joe Judge, I know uh, the comparison to Tom Coughlin was fairly natural, but I'm a retired educator, spent uh, 30 wondrous years as a special educator and dean of behavior management in the city school system. And what I heard was a teacher. What I heard was someone who really values uh, the players as people, talks about inspiring learning, talks about uh, players making adjustments, 
adjustments on the field and actually teaching the coaches. Talks about how he's going to hold his coaches accountable for reaching the one person in the back of the room. It was really, he reminded me of myself, quite frankly, guys, just in terms of going into a building, having an impact every day. And he, in fact, was was inspiring. And uh, I think I could see him being uh, running a school as well as coaching a team. And that's exciting for me. And I think when he picks his coaches, I think what we're going to see is that overarching philosophy of teaching players and not necessarily uh, teaching to their strengths and not necessarily having um, a run or pass philosophy, and he even mentioned that, but talking about the individual talents that players um, have and uh, the expectations around that. Well, it sounds like you'd like to get an interview to be a member of his staff, but we can't (laughs) arrange that for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I did have a very similar takeaway because he has an educational background, so you know, when you listen to him and he uses the philosophy of no child left behind and, you know, reaching everybody on the team, including the 52nd guy on the roster, not just necessarily the 22 starters. Yeah, you could tell his background is education. He dealt with kindergarten kids. So if anybody has the patience of doing that, then uh, he should be able to deal with uh, adults who are professional football players. And I think he's probably going to try to implement a very similar philosophy, but it's up to his positional coaches. It's up to his staff to help implement that. I would say so. Some of the words and phrases he used, though, about blue-collar, physical, tough, uh, punch-people-in-the-nose kind of mentality, that does seem to indicate leaning more towards a physical power running game than it does throw-it-around video game Madden football. Well, that also speaks to tough-mindedness, and the reality is when the Giants are really good, their philosophy is being not necessarily the most talented team, and that's why they upset teams. It's because they're the most tough-minded teams. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes to teaching, and that goes to expectations and discipline. All the things that occur in a good schoolhouse, in a good classroom, that's what he's speaking to. Yeah, and I think that, once again, that goes back to his educational background, Pete, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Once again, it's all going to be dependent on the product on the field. We can sit here and analyze the press conference till we're blue in the face. And at the end of the day, what matters is the development that goes on in OTAs and then the results come September, okay? That's where all of the substance is going to show up. Well, but can we add? They also got to get him a few more players. They do have to get him a few more players. There's no doubt about that. And there will be turnover on the roster. There's turnover for every single roster. But, you know, I do think his educational background is what also made him an extremely attractive candidate. John Mara was even asked about this during, you know, the press conference right after when he spoke. And he was asked, you know, how much did you value that? And they did. They liked the fact that, you know, if he can get a message across to students in a classroom, I think that he has the background and the methods to then get that message across to, once again, a group of professional football players. Because a lot of coaching, Paul, is strategy. It's not necessarily, you know, being that tough rah-rah guy that's going to command the room. It's also, you know you want to teach them a certain technique. You know you want your team to take on a specific identity. Okay, how do you then implement the strategy that gets that message across? That is taught and developed when you go to school to be a teacher because you have to learn how to put together a lesson plan. You have to learn how to command the attention of an entire classroom. 
you learn a lot of those skill sets that I think are similar to coaching. So that background, I think, should not be overlooked. And that is unique to, you know, the NFL coaching field. You don't hear about a lot of people that had an educational background. I'm not saying that they didn't go to college, but didn't necessarily major in education. That's what I think makes him unique. Well, I think what's also helpful about that trait is if you can teach a group of people what the end goal is and why this plan or process will work, it will be a lot easier for them to buy and be all in. 100%. Because they can visualize what's at the finish line. And you're explaining, yeah, that's what you want to get to, but this is why we have to do it that way. And Judge was even preaching some of that during the course of his press conference. And you hear a lot of coaches even say that. You know, when they implement the scheme and a defense, a lot of coordinators will say, it took us a while to get the team to buy into why we're doing this. You know, we get all into the language and the rule of thumb and the law, but sometimes, you know, players don't understand why they're doing that. And I don't want to get too much off topic, but Tyke Tolbert, who is going to be retained on the coaching staff, he himself announced it on Twitter. So I don't think we need to worry about the reports if you go to his Twitter handle. He would talk more often than not, Paul, when he met the media this past season. I'm sure you heard this. He would, every time he was asked about a wide receiver, he would say, we teach our wide receivers the X, the Y, and the Z position, right? Okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because yes. everybody would press him about, well, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, you know, how do you decide about who's lined up in the slot and who's lined up on the outside? And he would say, listen, it's real simple. When a wide receiver comes into our program, we don't tell them, okay, hey, we view you as a slot guy. Study the book for the slot receiver. No, you come in, you learn the entire scheme. You learn what every wide receiver is asked to do. So this way, if you get into a game, and Cody Latimer goes down, and all of a sudden you got to bring in the fifth guy in the depth chart. If Cody played on the outside as opposed to the slot, you can't go to the coach and say, but coach, all I know is what to do as a slot wide receiver. They don't want to put any of their receivers in that spot. That's why they teach them the full section of the playbook. I might add one more thing to this whole thing before we go to the next call. Of all the coaches that I've covered with the Giants in my 37 seasons that I've been around, the three head coaches who were most like teachers, were Bill Parcells, Dan Reeves, and Tom Coughlin. Three old-school guys who also understood the philosophy was just as important as ordering people to do something because you need to get those guys to understand how it is that you are going to succeed so that they can be selfless enough to put their egos aside for the team good. Let's head back to the lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jimmy is in Rose Hill. Jimmy, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How are you? Long time, uh, long time no speak. Hi. Um, just uh, one thing before I get to the, the, the point I wanted to make, uh, and, and I'm certainly not comparing Joe Judge to Vince Lombardi, but Lombardi always considered himself a teacher before mm-hmm. he considered himself a coach. That's correct. And, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time at St. Cecilia's out there in Englewood, even mm-hmm. uh, coached basketball. And I didn't know didn't know that the basketball was round, but yet I think led them to a, a state championship back uh, way back when. But anyway, uh, the real reason for my call is to just talk a little bit about George Young and his long overdue uh, installation in, into the Hall of Fame. So glad you brought uh, you know, that up, Paul, by the way. probably doing cartwheels and, 
Yes. I'm, I'm joining you in those cartwheels right now. Yes, thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm going to let you continue, but I just want to say one thing. They inducted 12 members, or they will be inducting 20, 20 members into the centennial class of the Hall of Fame this year, people who they believe fell through the cracks and were passed over. They had a an expert panel um, that they put together of the finest pro football minds who have been around for decades and said, we got to fix this. There are people who need to be enshrined. And thank goodness, George Young, 34 years involved in the NFL. He passed away at the age of 71 back in 2001 from an illness. But 34 of his 71 years on this planet, and he was a teacher. He was a, just a tremendously gifted, smart man who also devoted his life and his breath to the National Football League. And I am so grateful that they have put him into the Hall of Fame. So, caller, please go ahead, and I thank you for bringing his name up. Uh, listen, my, you know, my pleasure, Paulie, no problem. Uh, you know, I, I, I talk to you guys often. I mean, I saw my first Giant game in, in, uh, you know, in, in, when I was nine years old back in 1959. We got the tickets in 62. So I, I lived through all of those, you know, those, those years in the wilderness until finally in 1979 when they – when they appointed, uh, you know, they appointed George as the as the GM, and I think the rest is history. But I actually got into a little um, correspondence with with George. I just want to tell you a quick story. Um, and back then, you know, you didn't get an email back. You actually got a handwritten note. And the thing about him was he was um, he was quite forthcoming and blunt uh, about specific players in his in some of his notes. I've moved a couple of times since, you know, the early 80s. I hope I still have them. I'm going to tear my drawers apart looking for them. But um, and I also, when they were still training up at pace, after I'd had some correspondence back and forth with him, he was sitting up in the corner during a, a training camp. And uh, I debated, and I said, well, you know what, I'm going to go up and introduce myself to him. And this question was, when I told him, you know, that I'd written him some notes, he said, he said to me, well, Jim, uh, he said, did I ever respond back to you? I said, yes, every time. He said, well, with that, he said, sit down, I'll talk to you. And actually, it's 15 minutes, <laughs> 15 minutes talking to the guy. But this, the story I want to tell about, which is typical George, um, just before the 81 draft, I sent him a note, and I said, who are you thinking of, you know, of taking with the second overall pick? And his response back to me was classic George. He said, Jim, I haven't even told my confessor who I'm going to be picking with the second pick, who turned out to be Lawrence Taylor. But anyway, uh, you know, thank God to him. Thank God for whatever circumstances were that that, that got him to the Giants. But um, uh, clearly, uh, he's the one that, that, that pulled us out of that wilderness and gave us the two championships. And I think to a large extent probably put in place some of the infrastructure that uh, even you know persisted you know after after he left and and joined the league. So there anyway, is no question about that. that. Make that make that point, and then if uh, there are young people out there who aren't that familiar, Google the man. Look at the look at actually the NFL films of Super Bowl five when the Colts played the Cowboys, <laughs> and it, yeah. he was on the sidelines. Yeah. He was a coach for the Colts, so yes, he, he had a, a, a varied background, and he, too, was a teacher, by the way. Yes, sir. Uh, so think something to keep in mind with George Young. I, again, I'm just eternally grateful that finally, after all these years, his, uh, his accomplishments have been recognized. So keep up the good work, guys, and... Um, don't talk. Don't call as often as I used to, but I listen to you every day. Well, appreciate it. Thank Jimmy. you so much. And thanks for sharing that story as well. Uh, Let me make something clear yeah. about George. 
Okay, five times, a record five times NFL Executive of the Year. Okay, went to the playoffs eight times during his tenure with the Giants with four different head coaches. Try doing that. Okay, Perkins, Parcells, Reeves, and Fossil. Four different head coaches he was able to mentor and take to the postseason. And, of course, the Giants' two Super Bowls while he was in charge. And the structure that he put in was then later um, run by Ernie Corsi, who then passed it on to Jerry Reese. And as the Giants got further and further and further away from George, a lot of things kind of got a little soft around the edges. But if you go back to the roots of what George put in, it was his foundation and his structure that truly made the Giants uh, the class and the respected organization that they had been for decades. Let's move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, and we check in with Kenyatta in North Carolina. Kenyatta, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? How's it going, fellas? Long-time Giants fan. Glad to finally um, get in to speak with you guys. Thank you for calling. Glad to have you aboard. Yeah, what's on your mind? Yes, I would like to talk about the offensive line play. I would like to talk to you guys about what do you think about the offensive lineman coming out of Georgia? Do you think he will be a ready plug-in player for us on the offensive line, maybe on the right side? I know Nate Soda had a hard year battling injuries, and he was going through stuff with his child. I hope everything well in that regard with Nate. So do we. What would you think of um, the offensive tackle coming out of Georgia for us? Well, you're talking about what, Andrew Thomas? Is that, that is correct, sir. Well, I'll be honest with you. I haven't had a great deal of time yet to delve into the offensive linemen specifically, but I will say this. I think the new coaching staff, and I emphasized this on the program the other day, Paul, the new coaching staff that comes in, Kenya, to keep in mind, is going to have a different philosophy and evaluation of the players than the previous coaching staff did. So, you know, whenever you get into, well, what this player did, Mike Remmers evaluating him in terms of getting a new contract, Nate Solder in terms of what happened last season, where you want to place him, their philosophies and their evaluations could be completely different from the pre-existing staff. So we've got to take that into consideration because that leads to various different opinions. As far as the fourth overall pick is concerned, if the Giants believe when they evaluate guys out of Georgia, guys out of Iowa who produce also really good offensive linemen, and they think it's worth the fourth pick, then I say you take an offensive lineman. But if they don't think the offensive lineman is the best guy on the, the board and it may be a need, that's where you start reaching, and you're better off going in a different direction, even though that may not be a major need. So I'm very careful in saying just because they may need some substance and depth of the offensive line doesn't mean that should be the fourth overall pick. Just remember one thing. The offensive line position is supposed to be, according to those people who follow this year-round as part of their job, it's supposed to be a deep position this year especially at offensive tackle. Apparently, there are many of them coming out. The only thing I will say secondhand now from talking to those people, Thomas, by many of them, is the number one offensive tackle coming out. Others will disagree, but there appear to be three very high first-round offensive tackles in this draft. So if you want to talk about Thomas in that conversation, I don't think anybody would fight you. In terms of, correct, where he's at number four. But but once again... 
you could go back and look at the best offensive lineman in every single year's class, and there's no guarantee that that guy's going to no, play it out. No, no, no. So, I'm just know, saying he, he's entitled oh, to consider yeah, him I, well, for, his own, for, for his own wants at four. Yeah. I think he, he certainly could be in the conversation. That's not out of line. That's fair. What Absolutely. A, yeah, what else you got for us? As down. a former offensive lineman, I just love the offensive line play, and I love the camaraderie of the offensive line. So I'm always just looking to see um, different areas that the Giants is always trying to prove the team. But I love you. I love the show. I'm going to take um, this off the air, and thank you guys for all the information you give us. Yeah, you Go got it, Kenya. Thank you. Phone call. Good call. In terms of the offensive line, just if you look at the facts here, Remmers is going to be on the market, so a decision at right tackle is going to have to be made, Paul, whether it be Nick Gates taking over, whether it be Remmers re-signing. For the most part, the center position between Jalapio and Pulley, you know, you got guys under contract there. It's not as if you really have to make a financial decision there. Will Hernandez is on a rookie contract. Zeitler was just acquired and still has... Some time left. flexibility on his deal. And Nate Solder, too, is under contract. He has time so, left. So it's not as if you're entering the free agent market with the land of the unknown. The only guy that's not under contract is your right tackle. And Nick Gates is not even included in that starting group. But you certainly can bring him in as a starter, or at least he could come back as a versatile player that could play multiple positions. So, you know, on paper right now, while you always need to look for improvement and depth, I don't think, from a financial perspective, the offensive line is a huge question mark. I guess that's my major point. It's kind of ironic because Nick Gates, who I still believe, and, and I know a lot of people uh, in the NFL believe, is going to be a better long-term guard in the NFL than he is a tackle. But he may be David Deal 2.0, where out of necessity, he winds up playing tackle and does an adequate job even though it's not his best position. And I think if you talk to Nick, and I have, he understands that. The good news is he's more than willing to do whatever they want him to do because as an undrafted rookie free agent coming into the league last season, he said to me, I need to do whatever they want me to do because I want to be in this league. Of course, yeah. in order to stay in the league, you better <laughs> He's got a great attitude. He really principles. does. Yeah. He does, and listen, he got to start at right tackle. He got to start at right guard this year. Remember, because Remmers was out one game, Zeitler was out another mm-hmm. game. So that proved alone that he had positional flexibility. And I will say this, not that coaches are going to give you an entire breakdown on the player, but every time Pat Shermer was asked about Nick Gates, usually it was an extremely positive feedback session that he provided. And, and coaches don't always have to go out of their way, but normally, even before seeing the film, Paul, Shermer would at least give an indication we've been very content with what he's doing in practice. We've been happy with the level of productivity. And normally, you know, even in a rough game for the offensive line, Nick Gates usually came out with some big positives. So that, I think, is extremely encouraging. Just look at the tape of his snaps, albeit limited and a small sample size. When Nick Gates was on the field, he got things done. He, had, he, had, he did very few things wrong. He was he was not a liability whenever he stepped on the field. Well, and there is value on a roster to having a player who can, in a pinch, play every single position, which Nick Gates can. So you need somebody like that. I know some people are going to say, well, Nick Gates should start next season, and I think he'll have an opportunity as long as he's here. But I also don't think it's a crime if he is that swing offensive lineman. 
Well, again, the problem is you got Hernandez and Zeitler as the two starting guards, and he's not going to outfight those guys exactly. for those two spots. Well, I guess what I'm saying So is- he may have to go to a position that is not his best if he is going to win a starting job. And by the way, it's all about putting the best five on the field. So if he is one of the best five and deserves to win a spot that may not be his best spot, more power to him. Yeah. But what I guess maybe hurts him in that regard is when you say he'll have to play a position that perhaps he's not as comfortable in because he did say on the record that the right guard spot was a lot more comfortable than the tackle spot. But considering Hernandez and Zeitler, they're not going to move out to tackle and Gates is the only option, then pretty much the competition is either you win the right tackle spot or you likely become the swing guy next season. I think that's the reality of Nick Gates' circumstances. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And Charlie is in Portland, Maine. How delightful. Charlie, what's happening? <laughs> Hi, Charlie. Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Uh, hey, I got something for you. Okay. Why do you not? Yes. <laughs> Why would you hire your quarterback coach before you hire your offensive coordinator unless you know who your offensive coordinator is going to be or who you really want? And I think they want Garrett. They've waited until his contract was up. They brought him in the day after his contract was up. And I don't know if you want to do some research. I might do it later. But the quarterback coach, I'm wondering if he has any relationship with Garrett, you know, back two or three, four or five years ago. Because, you know, it doesn't seem like you'd want to give, you know, you'd want your – offensive coordinator to pick your quarterback coach along with the coach himself judd but uh so to me i think it's a done deal unless they can't get the contract right and they can't agree on it that's why well, it was interviewed as a fallback is it that's possible it. jason garrett gets the job i'm not going to disagree with you there because there is no oc at this point i think though you're making a lot of assumptions that i don't necessarily agree with number one to my knowledge, Surprise. Garrett and, according to multiple reports, it's not official, Jerry Shuplinski is the guy you're referring to as the quarterback's coach. But once again, nothing official from the Giants' standpoint. To my knowledge, they have no connection because they were in Miami, but not together. We're talking about Jason Garrett was in Miami in 05 06, mm-hmm. and Shuplinski was there the previous season. So there's no connection. And then prior to that, he was in New England, and we know Jason Garrett was in New England. So no connection there. Mike Shula. But it could go back. It could go back when, uh, you know, further than that. I'm going to look where, it up to see if they ever cross paths. Well, I'm telling you, I have his resume in front of me, Shuplinski. He went to Case yeah. Western Reserve, Trinity High School in Ohio, and John Carroll. He was a grad assistant. Jason Garrett went to Princeton and is a New Jersey guy. So you tell me how they cross paths. If Charlie, you find it. I think the the bigger issue is if you can connect the dots with any of these individual hires with Judge. That's the bigger issue. Yeah. It's not about does the QB coach and coordinator have to be connected. I don't necessarily believe that's a must. Well, and here's another thing related to what Paul just said. If you remember, Pat Shermer hired Mike Shula, and Mike Shula did take on both roles. But Shermer and Shula had no connection, Paul. No. Shula actually was a recommendation from Dave Gettleman because they were together in Carolina. And, you know, they were trying to recommend to Pat Shermer who should he at least speak to. So there's an example. The previous head coach brought in a coordinator that he had no history with. Right. 
Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. I, I just think... Well, they, listen, they you never Garrett. disappoint when it comes to throwing things on the wall <laughs> just to see hey, if they still happen. I bet you stick. they cross paths somewhere. Uh, I, bet li- you, I bet you... I bet Maybe I'm at the grocery I'll, store I'll, one I'll day. <laughs> listen, I'm not ruling it out, Charlie, but if you find it, oh. yes, it's going to be that they somehow were at Whole Foods on a random Thursday <laughs> in the middle of Dallas, Texas. Okay? I mean, stop and shop, don't you? I'm sorry, my apologies. I just want to say one more thing, guys. You guys... I've been talking like, yeah. look, we got a new coach. All these players, they're looking at different eyes now. And, and guys that we think that Shermer loved and all this stuff, like Gates, Shermer loved him. He Judd might not love him. The Hold offensive on. line coach might say, Charlie, this guy doesn't fit what, what I'm going to do. Charlie, you've been so, listening while you've been on hold, right? I assume. And, and that's yeah, a bad assumption on me because we know what happens when people assume. So I'm going to assume maybe you weren't listening. If you recall, well, hold on. So let, let's let's backpedal here. There was a caller before you who asked about a Georgia offensive line. My response, yeah, if you recall, my first response was when a new coaching staff comes in, their evaluation of players should not be taken for granted that it's in line with the previous coaching staff. That's exactly, exactly. what I said. So that's exactly what you just threw out. Prior no, to that, but Paul, but Paul was saying that Gates, that Sherman loved Gates, and he always came out. Yeah, and really I, I said that. And, I said you that. Know, yeah, I'm I just said saying that. that they might not think he is. They might not think it. Charlie, was. Look, I mean, let me just say this: Ch- Charlie, might have a whole different scheme, and he might not fit it. And and that's always a possibility. Once these right. guys are put in place, you don't know how things will be either tinkered with or changed. That does not change the fact that when Nick Gates was on the field last year, he was productive. He was not a liability. Anybody with any football knowledge can look at that tape and say, Nick Gates has a future in this league and has talent to play in the NFL. Now, whether or not he fits somebody's particular scheme, that's open to debate. But Nick Gates is an NFL player, and I'll stand by that. Hey, I, you know, I agree. I think Gates has possibilities, but I'm just saying, who knows what the O-line coach, hopefully it's Callahan or whoever it is, you know, they got to look at this offensive line and they got to say it wasn't good enough. Somebody was not good enough on that offensive line because they didn't perform to where they should have. Now, Soldier said he'd go to right tackle. Maybe that's a good place for him. And well, he did, hold on. Run did he say that? Wait, you Solder, gave the numbers. Charlie, hold on. Let, let, let's just slow Solder down a was, second was, here. I don't recall ahead. Nate Solder going on the record and saying he that. He did. He did go on the record. He told a newspaper reporter the last week of the season he'd be willing yes. to change positions. He did say that? Okay. Yes. I just want to make sure yep. that that was factually checked because I don't remember him saying that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. You don't no. trust me? Well, no, I don't have any reason to trust you, but go ahead. Yes. We'll let you continue. Yeah, because after all, Charlie, your, sure your track record is so stellar. Yeah, I know. Shame <laughs> on me for not trusting you. So anyway, you. they got to do something with the offensive line, and uh, hopefully they're going to bring in some other people who will put the line will play better. Like you were saying, Paul, like running up the middle, we couldn't run, and that was because of our center. We need another, We need a better center. Well, Charlie, you could also argue that running Barkley with a fullback in front of him when you're going to try to jam it up between the tackles in a power running game would have been a whole lot better, and that's a scheme-oriented thing, okay? And, and, you know, we could debate all we want to about, you know, why that didn't happen, but it certainly would have made a difference. Yep. Okay, guys, I guess that's all I've got. It's snowing up here, and it's uh, really nice. It's really beautiful. Big snowflakes. Very nice. You know, 
Stardust, well, it's all good. We always <laughs> like it, a weather report from Maine because that, that clearly impacts the well-being of our entire viewership and listenership, Charlie. Enjoy the snow. Okay, Go guys. outside. Be a good boy. Make a snow angel for us all. And uh, we'll speak to you at a Enjoy, later Enjoy, Charlie. Yes, uh, Charlie in Portland, Maine, the uh, highlight of my life as we move along. And by the way, keep the snow up there because we want no part of it. <laughs> yes, we are more than content with the uh, relatively mild weather, at least in this neck of the woods here on uh, Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, it is brought to you by Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. We have to uh, end the program a little bit early today for some other priorities, but we certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in. You can always stay locked to Giants.com for the latest. Big Blue Kickoff Live will be up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your day, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.